Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, that will be our first reading this morning. Today we're going to be continuing a series of lessons we started last week looking at the first principles. And just as a brief reminder, remember, we're not talking about the steps of salvation. We're not talking about those first principles that we probably often think about. But rather, we're talking about principles that need to be established, need to be understood, even before we get to the steps of salvation. This morning, we'll be looking at the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. Very quickly, as a way of a review, remember, in our first lesson, we talked about there is a God. And I gave you three evidences that, in my mind, prove that there's a God. First, we said that when we look at creation in its entirety, everything in the universe screams that there's a creator. You think of passages like Psalms 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Everything screams that there's a God. Well, if we focus down a little bit on God's creation, we go from all of it to let's go to the individual. You think about you and I. I believe that we prove that there's a God. The Bible tells us that God has put eternity in our hearts. We long for something more, and that longing is for God. We recognize how wonderfully and fearfully we're made, how amazing our bodies are. And once again, it screams that there's an intelligent designer. Finally, we said that people can't prove that there's not a God. Even though people will point to us and say, prove to me that there's a God. Well, let's flip it around. Prove to me that there's not. You want proof that there's a God? Well, prove to me that there's not one. And people can't do that. So we said that there is a God. Not only is there a God, but we said that his name is Jehovah. Even if people claim to be worshiping God, even though so many claim to be worshiping a some sort of, of deity, and they say they are worshiping God, what they're really worshiping are lies. And they're follow, following after false doctrines. There is one God, and his name is Jehovah. It's not Allah. It's not some other deity that people want to worship. His name is Jehovah. We ended last week's lesson saying that there is one God, and he had a son. So this morning, let's think about Jesus as the Son of God. Here in Matthew chapter 16, I appreciate Brother Chet reading this. But in Matthew chapter 16, we have this really interesting interaction between Jesus and his disciples. Notice starting in verse 13, Jesus asked his disciples a very simple question. It says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? If you'll remember in your timeline of Jesus's life, this is about halfway in his ministry. Jesus is on the earth for about 33 years. He ministers for about three and a half. And so this is right around the middle of his ministry. And he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do people, when they look at me, who do they say that I am? And their answer is interesting. Look at verse 14. So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah are one of the prophets. When we read that verse, do we get the understanding that the people just really didn't know who Jesus was? 
There wasn't a common, yes, this is who Jesus is. There wasn't that common understanding that, yes, Jesus is this person. Some people held him in high regards. You think about people calling him Elijah. To a Jew, who was Elijah? I mean, he was top tier, right? He was one of the main prophets. And so they would look and say, he's like Elijah. That's pretty big praise. Some say Jeremiah. Some say John the Baptist. Others say, well, you know, he's just like one of the other prophets. You know, he's not Elijah. He's not Jeremiah. You know, he's like one of those other prophets. There wasn't a consensus as to who he was. People didn't understand. Now, what I want you to think about this morning. If the same question was asked today, if Jesus were here in our midst standing and said, who do the people say that I am? What kind of answers do you think we would get? I'm going to tell you right now that when you go and you search and you look at the way people view Jesus, there are some crackpot theories out there. There are some people out there who believe some very odd and just blasphemous things about Jesus. And so I'm just going to give you four. Some people say he's just fiction. There really wasn't a person named Jesus. Really, Jesus is just this conglomeration of all of these different rabbis, all of these different teachers, all of his sayings. They've just kind of put them all together and they put it under this pseudonym of Jesus. He didn't really live. He's just fiction. People look at Jesus the same way they would look at King Arthur and Merlin and the Knights of the Round Table. It's a great story, right? But they didn't really live. It's really just a moral lesson for us. And so there are some out there who say that Jesus is just a work of fiction. Well, you go further and you think about groups like the Muslims and the modern-day Jews. They don't question whether or not Jesus was a real person. Absolutely, they say, yes, there was a man named Jesus, but that's where they stop. To a Jew, Jesus was a man who blasphemed, a man who claimed to be something when he really wasn't. To the Muslim, they look at Jesus as a prophet. Yes, he was a good prophet. They even equate him up with Moses. He was like Moses and a prophet of God, but he was just a man. They deny the spiritual nature of who Jesus was. Well, you have other groups like the Jehovah's Witness who they will say that, yes, Jesus was a spiritual being. He had that spiritual nature about him, but he wasn't God. They deny his deity. He wasn't the son of God. He wasn't God himself. And so, no, he was a spiritual being. In fact, Jehovah's Witness go as far to say that he was Michael the archangel. But he was just a created spiritual being like all the other angels. Yes, they, they admit that there's a spiritual nature about him, but they deny his deity. Let me give you one more. You think about the oneness doctrine, oneness Pentecostals. Well, they'll teach that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they're all the same thing. There's not different beings. There's not different, different people in the Godhead. They're all the same, hence oneness The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're all the same thing. There's no difference in the Godhead. So once again, you see that there is a lot of confusion in the world as to who Jesus is. A lot of people don't understand who he is. A lot of people have these different ideas and these different theories as to who he is. But going back to the Bible and going back to Matthew chapter 16, what we see is Jesus shifts the question a little bit. At first he asked, who do the people say that I am? Who do the masses say that I am? 
But then you come down to verse 14. I'm sorry, rather verse 15. Jesus says to them, he says to his disciples, but who do you say that I am? Forget what everybody else says. Forget of all the things people say about me. Who do you, my disciples, the one that I chose, who do you say that I am? And Peter gives the right response. Verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You are the anointed one from God. Not only that, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus goes on and says in verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is telling Peter and all of his disciples, this is not something that you've made up. This is not a fairy tale. This is not some fiction that you have built in your mind that you just think that I'm the Christ. No, Jesus says, I am the Christ. I am the Son of God. And he says, God is the one who showed that to you. That's who Jesus is. And brethren, can I suggest to you this morning that that belief of who Jesus is, it is key to our salvation. Over in John chapter 8. And in verse 24, Jesus tells us, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. If we do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, we will die in our sins. It is key to our salvation. We must believe. We must be convinced that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. For the rest of our time this morning, I want to ask you the same question I asked you last time in our study. And I'll give you a little hint. Throughout the rest of this series, we're going to ask ourselves the same question over and over. If you remember last time, I asked you, why do you believe in God? And I hope you thought about it. I hope you came up with some reasons of why you personally you as an individual, not the reasons I gave you, not the reasons mom and dad said, not the reasons why some of the people here would say, why do you as an individual believe in God? Well, why do you believe in Jesus? Why do you believe in Jesus? Do, do you believe in Jesus? I know you do. If you didn't, why would you come to church? If you didn't, why would you come to a church that has his name on it? Church of Christ. Church belonging to Jesus if you didn't believe in him. But once again, why do you believe in Jesus? Let me give you three reasons I believe in Jesus. First, the historical evidence proves that there was a person called Jesus. The historical evidence tells us that there was a person who lived on this earth in the first century named Jesus. Now, we could spend the time and we could go through the hundreds of accounts of people who were pro-Jesus. You think about people that we often call the church fathers. They have so many writings detailing who Jesus was, about his life. They corroborate all of the, all of the uh, gospels that we have. But some would argue and say, well, of course they would say that. They're pro-Jesus. They want Jesus to be true. You can't take somebody who, who has an agenda 
who has this, this motive, you can't take that and say, and prove to me that there was a person named Jesus. Okay, fair enough. And if that was the only evidence that we had, maybe they would have an argument. But this morning, I want to give you three what people would call hostile witnesses of Jesus. And by hostile witness, what we're talking about here is people who could have cared less if Jesus actually was a real person. People who had no skin in the game. People who really would have been better off if he hadn't been real. So I'm going to give you three, and there's, there's more, but these are the three main ones. There's a Roman author by the name of Tacitus. And if you've never heard of Tacitus, he is the one that wrote the book Annals. Now, what's really interesting about this book, Annals, people look at that and historians say it is such a great work that details so much about Roman history, about their society. And people hold this book up and say, this is a great book for historical evidence, and we get so much information about it. Well, if we're going to say that this is a great source of historical material, there's a problem for people. Because Tacitus' writings, he mentions what he calls superstitious Christians. And he talks about how they suffered under Pontius Pilate. Do you see the problem here? Annals is such a great book for historical accuracy. It talks about Jesus. So if we're going to say it's a great book, what does it tell us about Jesus? He was a real person. Another one that you'll often hear referred to, and I'm probably going to butcher his name, so if you can say it better, you can correct me after church. But another Roman writer by the name of Suetonius. Suetonius was the chief secretary. He was the one who wrote the history during the reign of the emperor Hadrian. Now, if you've never heard Hadrian before, you've probably heard the Hadriatic Wall. That's this guy. He reigned roughly around 130 to 155 BC. So we're still within maybe one or two generations of when Christ was on the earth. Suetonius, once again, is held up as a great person who wrote all of this great historical evidence and historical documents for us to read. And he wrote about Jesus' crucifixion. He provided details about a man named Christus, which is Latin for Christ, and how he was crucified in the first century. Well, once again, why would he write about that if Jesus wasn't real? Why would a Roman historian, one who wasn't a Christian, in fact, he wrote about how people hated Christians. Why would he write about a man named Christus, Christ, crucified in the first century and about the, the movement that followed after him if he wasn't a real person? Doesn't make sense. One more. Josephus. We've heard Josephus before. Josephus was a Jewish historian. He wrote the book Antiquities. He lived during the time of Christ. He lived during the siege of Rome in A.D. 70. He saw all of this stuff firsthand. Well, Josephus mentions Jesus at least twice in his writings, and he mentions Christians much more. Josephus talks about how Jesus blasphemed and how he was put to death by the high priest. Once again, Josephus looks at Jesus as a blasphemer, as someone who deserved to die. If Jesus wasn't real, why would he write about him? If he wasn't real, shouldn't he have mentioned that there was this false man, a person they made up? Wouldn't that have been a better way to present this if Jesus wasn't a real person? So in my mind, the historical evidence proves to me that there's a Jesus. There was a man who walked this earth named Jesus. So the idea that he's a fictional character, it doesn't, it doesn't hold sway. 
So I believe that Jesus was real because the historical evidence proves that there was a man named Jesus. Let me give you a second reason why I believe Jesus is the Son of God. The Bible tells us that he's the Son of God. Now, people would argue and say, you can't use the Bible to prove something. You can't use the Bible to prove that Jesus is something. Why not? It's amazing to me when you look at the Bible, and even historians will agree that the Bible is a source of historical records, will they not? Even academics will say that you can cite the Bible in academic studies because people recognize that the Bible is a source, even if they don't recognize the whole truth, that it has truth in it. So if historians will accept the Bible, if academics will accept the Bible, why can't we prove something using the Bible? Go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. I believe John 1 is the most just right there, punches you in the face. Jesus is God. John 1 is the best place to go to. If you want to talk to somebody that Jesus is a God, or is God, not a God, that he is God, go to John chapter 1. We know this. But look in John 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So John starts off and talks about the Word. Now, I thought we were talking about Jesus. I'll get to that in just a second. But he says, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Drop down to verse 14. John says, the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory is of, of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So follow the logic here. John says the word was with God from the beginning. The word was God, but then the word became flesh. Well, let's look at one more aspect about this word. Jump back up to verse 3. John says, all things were made through him. This is the word. All things were made through the word. And without the word, nothing was made that was made. We know who the word is, don't we? This is very clearly talking about Jesus. You and I, we know this. But if you're talking to somebody who doesn't know about this, who says, well, well who is this talking about? It doesn't name a person here. How do you know this is talking about Jesus? Well, let me show you how you do that. You take John 1, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The Word was there at the beginning. All things were created by the Word and through the Word. And then you go to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Once again, I know we know this. You and I, we were, we, this was drilled into our heads from a, from a very young age. All of our kids here can quote John 1 through like the entire chapter. We know who this is talking about. But sometimes because we know something so well, I think we just assume, well, everybody should know this. This is so obvious who this is talking about. Sometimes people need to be shown. Not in a condescending way, not in a, I can't believe you don't know this way, but in a loving way. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We come to Colossians chapter 1, and I'm going to start in verse 3, because if you've ever studied the writings of Paul, Paul will give any grammar or any English teacher make their eye twitch. Paul is the king of run-on sentences. 
There are times when you're studying the writings of Paul where you have to sit there and think, what are we talking about? Go back three chapters. Oh, this is what we're talking about. There's a reason why Peter said that some of Paul's writings are hard to understand. You have to really pay attention. Here at Colossians 1, notice in verse 3. Paul says, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. I bring this verse up because who is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. Now drop down to verse 14. He says, In whom we have redemption through his blood. Once again, who are we talking about? Back in verse 3, we're talking about Jesus. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the firstborn of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, notice verse 16, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or power. All things were created through him and for him. Put this together. John says that all things were created by the word, and without the word, nothing that was made was made. Paul says in Colossians 1, that was Jesus. So if that was Jesus, John 1, 1 again, in the beginning was Jesus. Jesus was with God, and Jesus is God. What is the Bible proving? That Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, think about why John wrote his gospel anyway. Why did John even write his book? Well, he tells us exactly why in John 20, verses 30 and 31. He says, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Verse 31, These are written. Why? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. I've told you before that I like to make notes in my Bible. I like to link passages together that maybe not aren't referenced in, in the center reference column. Because I can't reference everything. Your Bible would be huge. Have you ever connected John 20, 30, and 31 with Matthew chapter 16 that we just read? Have you ever connected that in your mind? Because remember, what does Jesus say? Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Why does John say he wrote his gospel? So that you and I can believe. What? That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of, the God, the Son of God. You ever made that connection? John and Peter, they knew who Christ was. John says, you need to know as well. Why do I believe that Jesus is the Christ? Why do I believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Because the Bible tells us he is. The Bible tells us directly. It always cracks me up when you're reading through the Gospels and the Jews, tell us plainly who you are. He did. He told them multiple times who he was. They just didn't want to hear it. People today, just tell us who Jesus is. He's the Christ. The Son of the living God. Oh no, he's not. <laughs> what does the Bible say? I believe that Jesus was a real person because historical evidence proves it. I believe he is the son of God because the Bible tells us he is. And let me give you one more. I believe that Jesus is the son of God because God the Father tells us he is. There are at least two instances 
in the Gospels where, Jesus, where the Father, in no uncertain terms, tells us that He is His Son. You probably already know which ones they are, don't you? Let's go to Matthew chapter 3. The baptism of Jesus. You'll remember this section, don't you? Jesus comes to John the Baptist and wants to be baptized, and John was like, no, uh-uh, I'm not baptizing you. You need to baptize me. You remember John's attitude toward Jesus? I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. So when Jesus comes to John, you baptize me. No. But finally, Jesus says, permit it so that all things can be fulfilled. And so John finally relents. And notice starting here in verse 16. It says, when he, when Jesus had been baptized, he came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It's amazing here at Jesus' baptism, we see all three parts of the Godhead. You have the Son, the Word in flesh. You have the Holy Spirit coming down as a dove, and then you have the Father speaking. And once again, in no uncertain terms, Jesus is the Son of God. You know the other one, don't you? Go over to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. The Transfiguration. Brethren, I'm afraid that sometimes we don't spend enough time to think about the Transfiguration. We know the story, obviously. But sometimes I'm afraid that we're so in such a hurry to get to the triumphal entry, to the last week, to the crucifixion, and ultimately the resurrection, that, that sometimes these middle chapters, well, okay, this happened, let's get to the important stuff. All of it's important. So much, in fact, that when you think about the transfiguration, how important was that? When you read the, the epistles of Peter, and you'll remember in 2 Peter, Peter is trying to convince, or 1 Peter rather, he's trying to convince people he, didn't, he wasn't tricked into believing about Christ. It wasn't fairy tales. It wasn't fables that he followed after. Thinking about Peter's life, what all did Peter witness? Peter saw a lot of stuff, didn't he? If you were writing to somebody and you had seen all the things that Peter had seen and done the things that Peter had done, what would you have said, this is the proof that Jesus was who he says he was? You know, I think I would have wrote about the resurrection of Lazarus. How amazing that would have been. Uh, the calming of the storm of Galilee. I think that I would have written about that. What about walking on the water? You know, we often ridicule Peter in that story. Oh, he started to sink. He took more steps in the water than you and I have taken. He was able to do some. Would you have written about that? But what does he choose to write about? He writes about the transfiguration. Because he got to see a glimpse of who Jesus really is. That made a big impression on him. And Brandon, let me suggest to you this morning, it should make a big impression on us as well. You remember this story. Jesus is there on the mountain. He's transfigured before his disciples. And there appears Moses and Elijah. And Peter, the impulsive man that we often refer to, it's like he couldn't stand the silence, right? 
Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let us build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Notice in verse 5. It says, While Peter was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Any question about who they should be listening to? You listen to Jesus. Let me give you one more example. Go to John chapter 8 again. John chapter 8. We already read verse 24. Unless you believe that I am he, he will die in your sins. Do you remember verse 31? Jesus is talking to Jews who believe in him. Here are people who are finally starting, the, the gears are turning, the light bulb's going off, they're having their aha moment. Hey, maybe this is the Christ. Maybe this is the person that we're looking for. And then Jesus dare say, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Whoa, wait a minute. We're Abraham's descendants here. We've never been in bondage to anyone <laughs> Of all the things that Jesus has said, that's really going to be the sticking point to these people who are starting to believe in him. It was. <coughs> it's amazing how short their memory is, isn't it? I mean, wasn't their nation born in bondage? Aren't they under Roman bondage now? Oh, we've never been in bondage. We will drop down into verse 58. And once again, the people are trying to figure out who he is. They're trying to understand who, who he is. And in verse 58... Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That seems like a pretty innocent statement, doesn't it? Okay, I am. Big whoop. It was a big whoop because what did the Jews do in verse 59? They took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, so passed by. Why would they want to stone him after he said, I am? Well, you remember back at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, Moses asked God, who am I supposed to say sent me? What's your name? And you remember what God says, right? I am which I am. Say, I am sent me. The Jews knew exactly what Jesus was saying here. When he said, I am, you know what he's saying? He's saying he is God. Why do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? For me, it's the historical evidence proves He's a real person. The Bible proves that He's the Son of God, and the Father Himself says that He is the Son of God. If you're going to be saved, you have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Even if the entire world rejects Him, as so many have, those who are called by God will accept that He is the Son of God. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for us. He laid down His life, died on the cross so that we could have redemption and salvation. Here's your preview, Lord willing, for next week. God wrote a book. And in that book are the details of that plan. So, Lord willing, next week, we're going to look at the, act, the fact that God wrote a book. Why do you believe that the Bible is from God? I hope the lesson's been beneficial.
I hope this series is helping us a little bit. I hope it's given us some things to think about uh, and really just to challenge us to make sure that, that we do know why we believe in God, why we believe in Jesus, why we believe in the Bible, why we believe in these things. Because as Peter would write in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 where he talks about always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is within you with meekness and fear, I'm hoping this series will equip us with this. It will help us to be ready Oh, you silly Christians, why do you believe in God? Well, this is why I believe in God. How could you follow, pattern your life with a book that's 2,000 years old? Well, this is why. That's what I hope we're getting from this. This morning we haven't talked about the steps of salvation. We haven't talked about the need to be baptized. But the only way to come into contact with the blood of Christ is to be buried in the waters. So this morning, if you're here and you've never been buried, see, here's water. What hinders you from being baptized? For those of us that are Christians, are there things separating us from God? If you're here this morning and you need help, if there are things that we can do to help you repair that relationship with God, then, then we're, we stand ready. We are here with open arms and we want to help you no matter what you need help with. So this morning, if you're here and you're subject to the invitation, will you let us know as we stand and as we sing this song?